0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. The Church of the Living God on Earth is the portal on Earth for heaven to open up. So whenever we come together, we gather together in the house of God. We're praying, we're praising. And notice we're doing everything with our tongue. We're praising, we're praying, we're testifying, preaching, prophesying. Whenever we do that, what happens is heaven opens up. And we join the family of heaven on earth. And what happens is there is, a, as it says in, uh, it's... Uh, Genesis chapter 26, where where the uh, the angels were coming were uh, going up and down the ladder. You see, when the church of the living God gets active and begins to praise God, and we open the portal of heaven, so angels can go up and down, so we can get revelation up and down, so there's miracles up and down. You you just you were operating. Don't look at me like you don't understand this. You are operating in supernatural activity. You see, we come together. We are the supernatural people of God that open up a portal into heaven that comes down and touches earth. That's our job and responsibility and duty. All right. So today I want to I want to speak to you on uh, on on a portion of this, and I want you to catch it. And we're gonna it's what I'm doing today. I'm putting puzzle pieces together for you out of the whole Bible. And we're going to take this piece and put it here, and this piece and put it here. We're going to see what it looks like. All right? How many like to put puzzles together? Okay? We're going to do that. We'll see how the. God puts. God's the greatest puzzle maker, the greatest mystery writer. And, and today we're going to see how he has done this throughout all eternity. So let's pray. Father, we just pray in Jesus' name and anointing upon this time. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts. Let the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit reside in this room. And when we leave today, let us not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, would you turn to the book of Acts? Acts is is the book of the Bible that is the implementation of the church that Jesus talked about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus talks about the church. He talks about what we are to be as the people of God, but Acts implements what the church is. So if you want to see what Jesus intended the church to be, go to the book of Acts, and you will see what it was intended to be. And so what we want to do today is we want to see what uh, Jesus is saying here. So I want to go uh, turn to to Acts 2, but I'm going to give you a, a preview in Acts 1, what was taking place. So Jesus dies. He goes to hell for three days. He comes out with the with the keys of, of hell and death and he rises with victory and he comes back on the earth for 40 days. He shows up and shows himself to 500 people after his resurrection. So 500 people see him. 500 people are known as disciples of Jesus and they, they, they were included in this number, and Jesus uh, begins to do something. Now, f- this is interesting. For 40 days, he stays on the earth, and he teaches his disciples things. Now, You have to understand, he just came from hell, and he saw he was in heaven in the sense of he was with his father, and and they were communicating as to what was to happen here. So what was it to be like with 40 days with Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead? That would have been quite a Bible college. So for 40 days, 500 people see him. Now the Bible says this in, in Acts chapter 1, see him, and for 40 days he's teaching, preaching, discipling, He's doing things with them. And then he says this. At the end of uh, the, uh, chapter 1, he talks to them and he says, uh, Go to Jerusalem and you wait there and I'm going to send the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. And then he says in Acts 1.8, he says, But you shall receive power after or when the Holy Ghost falls upon you and... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Meaning that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, it's not just for you to feel good. It's for you to be a witness. And if you really want to know what the word witness means, it's the word martyr. He wants us to witness to that. Now, a witness can only be a witness if he is seen and heard. So he see they see and hear, and he says, "Okay, you go to Jerusalem, and you wait for the promise of the Father." And so they have a prayer meeting in Acts one, just doing what he was he asked them to do. They have a prayer meeting. The Bible says that all the disciples showed up, even even Jesus' family. His his this is the last mention of Mary in the Bible. Mary shows up, his mother, and the whole family, and and the disciples. They're praying. And the Bible says they were they were praying in in, in one accord there, and. And then we enter into something very, very astonishing when we enter into chapter 2. So they make their way to Jerusalem. They're in the upper room. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, And there appeared to them, divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh my word, was this a day to remember, or what? Now, think about this for a minute. This is one of the most exciting verses in the entire Bible. It was the birth of the church. We had the birth of the church. Jesus comes, and he says, okay, I'm I'm leaving, but I'm sending my Holy Spirit and he, the, He's going to have a promise for you. And he, he birthed the church. Now, 500 were told about it. Only 120 showed up. What happened to the other 380? Now, think of it. They just had been in Bible college. They were in the middle of the presence of God. They saw Jesus resurrected and 24% show up. 76% missed it. Are you with me? They missed it. Now, God gave them a mandate to go to a place. He said, go, and you'll receive the promise of the Father. But you've got to go. Now, Chris has been talking about hearing the voice of God. Today, we're going we're to be talking about hearing the voice of God. These, all these disciples heard the voice of God. But only 120 really heard the voice of God. Because you will know if you hear it, if you obey it. That's the determination if you heard it. You see, God had made an appointment for them in the upper room. He, he had made an appointment. He had decided there was gonna, something was going to happen. 380 dropped out. They, had, they didn't take it seriously. They had distractions. They didn't make it a priority. God help us not to fall into that category. And so, he speaks to them. The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you're going to eat the good of the land. So they were obedient, 120, and they show up in Acts chapter 2. Now, there, there is, you have to understand that in order to receive the outpouring, the impartation, this reviving in their spirit, they had to be in the place of God's Appointment or choosing. Now you got to catch this. In order to receive God's fullness, you got to be in the place of God's appointment. God's appointment enables you to have God's anointing. And so we got to get to His appointment. Now, how many of you know appointments are important? You make doctor's appointments. If you don't show up, you're in trouble. You make appointments all the time, appointments are serious. But God's appointments are even more serious, because you can lose out on what God has intended for you. And so here here it is, and they heard the voice of God, and they moved to it. Now, watch this. There's nothing more important than God's anointing, impartation, favor that will come as a result of obeying His appointment. Now, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, in other words, it was the, the day had arrived. The appointment time had arrived. And so it was fully come. Then it says they were in one accord. They were in one accord. Say that with me. They were in one accord. They weren't in a Honda, but they were in one accord. <laughs> that just came into my mind, Sal. <laughs> so... They're in one accord. Now, interestingly enough, uh, we find this same thing. Now, how many were in the upper room? 120. There's another place, and I'll tell you a little bit more about it. There's another place in the Bible, in 2 Chronicles chapter five, verse, uh, chapter 5 and 6, talks about 120 trumpeters. And they all had the same sound. It was the same sound. Now, I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm a trumpet player, so I know what that sounds like. They were in one accord. When you tune your trumpet to the very same, and it's, it's tough to do, but if you're able to tune your instrument to the very same exact note as your companion and the next one, it is the most amazing sound. I can't even, dis- unless you're a musician, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But once you get that sound, it's just like, oh, it just cuts through. There's one accord. The word agreement in the Bible means symphonio. A symphony. When we're in one accord, it's a symphony in heaven. I've been I've had the privilege of directing choirs and orchestras and and to hear them all on the same page and and Reading and singing and playing from that is just a most amazing thing. When God hears the church in one accord playing the uh, right notes on the same page, it will bring heaven down to earth and something will happen. In 2 Chronicles 5, I'll tell you in a few minutes, something happened dramatically that changed the all, all of the Old Testament. And so we have 120. Isn't that an interesting? 120 trumpeters. 120 in the upper room. And we see... The, these things happened, and they were in one accord. They were in symphony. There was a symphonio that was occurring, and they were in one place. They were in a specific location. These are the prerequisites for suddenlies. It was a prerequisite. When you're in, in, the, uh, you know, in that place that, that was fully come, in one accord, in one place, all of a sudden, a suddenly will come. Heaven comes to earth on that kairos moment. It birthed the church, filled the disciples with power for their journey. I, I you know, the Bible indicates and, and uh, historians tell us that within two, or two and a half years of this event, the whole known world knew what was going on. It was the most amazing thing. what well, they had the Holy Spirit fell in that first day, 3,000 people were saved. Then there were 5,000. In other words, it went on and on and on. People were getting saved and saved. The Jesus movement had started. It was powerful. And then they they were filled with with power for the journey. Uh, There are are heaven-sent God moments that capture us and propel us for the rest of our lives. And I'm telling you, it is very indicative, Scripture is indicative that in the last days, we are to listen to the voice of God in such a way and make sure we're in the place of his uh, 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 appointment so we can receive his anointing. Here's, here's what it is. You've got to, now please hear this. I want to prove it to you. We need to be in the place of God's appointment in order to receive his anointing and power to take us on the journey that God has ordained for us. If you're not there, you won't be Ready? And so we have all this, all, all the scripture is talking about, be ready, be ready, be ready. We have all these scriptures. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. I'm going I'm to take some pieces out of the Old Testament to, to explain this. Jesus was actually telling them to get in that room because he had already done that several times in the Old Testament. Watch this. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Let every doctrine of God be afforded confirmation because of what two or three witnesses have said and done. Do you know every time Jesus had a major thing happen in his life, he had two at least two witnesses either from heaven or earth with him. At his at his ascension, at his at his baptism, at his at his birth, at every time along he had people that were witnessing and testifying to the same. The Bible says there will be two witnesses in Revelation at the end of time that will witness to what God and Jesus has done throughout all time, and they'll witness to the whole world. Now, having said that, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, I'm going to give you three witnesses of what Jesus was saying in Acts chapter 2 needs to be a, a heeded to by us. Here's the story. Now, Jesus comes, or God comes along in the Old Testament and it's interesting, he, he, uh, we see this in the first part of Genesis that the world got real evil, so God had decided he had to judge it. So he raised up a man called Noah. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so Noah was one righteous person in a, in a, in a world of evil. And the Bible spoke to him and said, build an ark. Well, I'm sorry, people, but you, you probably don't understand the whole totality of there was no such thing had ever been built as an ark because there was never rain before. There was never a need because there was never bodies of water that we know of today. So here we are. God comes to Noah. See, when God shows up and tells you to do something, you better do it even if it sounds crazy. So Noah, Noah shows up. God speaks to him. And it says, build an ark, and this is how much is how big it's gonna be and high, and this is how many doors it's gonna have, and how many windows it's gonna have, this is what you're gonna make it out of. And so for a get, get this for 120 years, he builds the ark. Peter says he was the preacher of righteousness, meaning that all during those 120 years, Noah was preaching. You gotta get ready, get ready to get in the ark because God's coming. God's judgment has come. He was a preacher of righteousness. Get your, get your house and your heart right. And for 120 years, and I imagine they got to the point where, this, oh, here comes Noah. Oh, boy, not him again. He's going yeah, to say this, 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 and this. Can you believe it? He's going to keep saying this. And they just, they just didn't hear. Didn't listen. People, we've got to listen. And so one day, you would have thought the people would have got it. All of a sudden, down Main Street, Noah's town, animals start going two by two, five by five. They weren't led, they were just marching towards that ark. Now, if I would have been a person on my front porch watching that happen, I say, hey, maybe Noah was right. All the every species walked right up that gangplank right, in, right into the ark man didn't lead him, God did then God told Noah, take your family get in the ark, God closed the door now I personally feel we're going to be able to see videos of this in heaven where there's going to be Netflix, Blockbuster I don't care well, we're going to see these things Blockbuster, yes you youngsters don't know what I'm talking about So, I believe you know I'm 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 going to be able to talk to Noah in heaven. I'm going to go up to him and say, Noah, can we go see? You? I, I want to see the video of you and the, I want to see those animals going in, and I, I want to see what happened at the I think what happened was that when they got in the when they got in the ark and the rain started falling, I think those people started banging on the outside. Think about it. The, they'd never seen rain before. They'd never seen water start rising, and there was, it was drowning them. They were banging on the door, but the door had already shut. You see, God had told Noah, get in the ark. How do I know that? Hebrews eleven seven. What does it say? By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of God, of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. The word ark is the word for house. He prepared a house for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. God told Noah, get in the house! You see, Noah had to be in the place in the appointment of God to receive the preservation of God. If he would have been outside the ark, he would not have been saved. Are you with me? Oh, that's not the only time God said it. We go to, we go to the Bible. We go to a few chapters later, and we see the children of Israel. The children of Israel are, are in Egypt, two or three million of them. They live in a place called Goshen. Goshen means drawing near. And so here they are in Goshen, and God comes along, and he says, I'm going to send ten plagues. I'm going to send te- 10 plagues against Egypt to, to, to judge them. But uh, if you'll stay in Goshen, do you know all? none of the plagues that hit Egypt hit Goshen? Except the last one. The last one was the, the angel of death. And the Bible says this. The Bible, if you go to, uh, to uh, Exodus chapter 10, 11, and 12, you will see this. God says children, get in the house, put blood upon the lintel and doorpost of the house, and eat the unleavened bread and the sacrificial lamb. Get in the house. What did that do? It preserved them from the death angel. Now, I, I kind of, in my mind, I've seen Joe Israel. He's, he's pretty confident in his relationship with God. And he says, you know, Dad, Mom, I, 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 I have a great relationship with God. I I I got a lot of things going on this night. I'm out with friends, and I I just, you know, I'll I'll be back soon. And he goes out of the house. He's Joe Israel. All of a sudden, this angel comes down the street towards him. He says, what are you doing outside the house? Didn't God tell you to get back, get in the house? Well, I'm Joe Israel. You know, I know God really well. He says, it doesn't matter how much you know God. You have to be in the place of God's appointment to receive God's protection. and we know the story everyone was in the house was preserved they were anointed they were prepared we're not done yet we have a third one and there's many in the bible the third one these are all great stories of the bible the third one is happens in the city of jericho here's the city of jericho children of israel go around it seven times and they shout and blow their trumpets and and the walls come down but what it, let me just digress, go back a little bit. There was a woman of Jericho that took two spies in from Israel and saved them. And then she asked this question. She said, what can I do to be saved when you come? That's, that was her words. I'm. What must I do to be saved? They, they told her this. <laughs> Get in the house. Put the scarlet red... Rope out the window and you will be saved. I think Rahab was one of the greatest evangelists of all times. She went every place she could. You got to come to my house tonight. Come on, get to my house. Come on, friends, family, come to the house. Well, why? Because if you want to be saved or not, get to the house. I think her house was full, packed. Archaeologists tell us when that. When those walls shook, they didn't just fall. They went down straight into the ground. Except for one place. Because her house was on the wall. Because she let the spies out to escape. We know that. So her house was the only one standing. And the Bible says they became a part of Israel because they obeyed the appointment. (sighs) Come on, people. We got to see there. God's God's up to something in the world, and we got to listen for His voice. We have to hear what He's saying. He's always saying, "Get in the house, get in the house." Then we we got to be in the place of His appointment to, in order to receive His anointing. God loves the house of God. Now let me just describe what that is, so you can understand that. Are you still with me? Okay. In, in the Old Testament, God makes the universe, so His un- universe is actually His house. His un- the universe is His house. And the Bible says that He made the earth as His habitation. The Bible also calls it a footstool, but it's, a, it's His house, too. But when sin entered, He lost His house. He lost the place of His glory. The glory covered the earth at that point from the presence of God, but He lost that when sin entered. So now God began to do this. He he began to redeem mankind, and whenever man built a house for God, God would show up and fill it. Are you with me? Is it not interesting that God put in all of us a desire for a house? You have a desire for a house. Everyone of you, want, you want to have a house, you want to have a nice house. It, it, it acts as preservation, acts for care and recuperation and place where you eat and, and fellowship and everything like that. You have a desire for that. God has a desire for that, because he's the one to put it in you. And God wants to build his house again. The earth scrounged it. The, the earth lost it. But God wants to resurrect it. And he, the house of God becomes... Now, it's not a building. The house of God is all of us built together. We decided on this location as a place where we can gather but the building is not the house of God. We are the house of God. And so what happens is God, God comes and he, and he uh, just anoints us and blesses us when we're in his house together. We've got to take this seriously. So from, from then on, as, as God, is through the Bible, we see God would come and dwell where men built him a habitation. We see this in a tabernacle of Moses. The tabernacle of Moses, they set the Ark of the Covenant in the tent in the Holy of Holies. And God showed up with a cloud by day and a fire by night. If you went to the, 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 when the children of Israel would camp in the wilderness, they would camp in the sign of a cross. And right in the middle was the tabernacle of Moses with the Ark of the Covenant, which was the very presence of God. God showed up. That was his house on earth at the time. And they knew God was with them because the pillar was there and the cloud was there. God will know, people will know God is with us when they see the cloud and the pillar in the midst of his house, in the midst of his people. It is his presence. It's his anointing. You could feel it when we were worshiping today. The pillar was growing. The cloud was extending. Mm. You catching this? So they knew that the tabernacle of David was built. It was a tent during the time of of David's reign. For 40 years, David put priests in there called Levitical priesthood. They, They were in there 24 hours a day praising and worshiping God. 24 hours a day, the presence of God showed up. You know what happened? David, whenever he needed a word from God, he went to the tabernacle of David. He got a word. 40 years that occurred. And we see then the temple of Solomon. This is what I was referring back to before. So Solomon builds a house for God. And you go to Second Chronicles chapter five and verse chapter six. This is interesting. He builds a house for God. And then he builds a platform and he builds an altar. He lifts up his hands to God, raises his hands, calls on God. God comes down, fire consumes the altar. I think God's here. Fire consumed the altar, and a cloud came and covered the whole uh, the temple so that the priests couldn't even minister because of the cloud. It was so powerful. God wants to dwell in his house. We are the house of God. Do not denigrate the house of God. And it does, you know, sometimes we think, well, it's just, we're just a little group of people here in Idaho. We're just kind of doing our thing. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God says that. And I think we need to understand what God is doing today is, is something powerful. The Bible says in, in Psalms ninety two thirteen, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See, what I'm saying is this. When you get in the house, now I'm not talking about in the building, but you're in the canopy of God's presence. You're committed to the house because you are the house. Follow me. See, if, you're, if you just come to church about, we're not talking about attendance. You see, the church isn't the, church isn't the Rotary Club, nor is it the Lions Club. The church is the living organism of God on earth, representing all of heaven to all of earth. And when we worship and testify in our gathering together and we open up the portal of heaven, something happens in our, in our lives and in us together that begins to change us. I, I liken it to a crockpot. If you stay in church long enough, you're going to get crockpotted. Yeah, you're, I, I, had a, I had a guy come to me after first service. He says, "Pastor Ken, this house has meant everything to me. I mean, I, I got in the church and I got rid of addiction. I got rid of this, and he it's said it's, it's, it's just because it's, it's the house and it cha- it's changed me. Pastor Ken, I just, I just, I, I have a love for the house, and that's what that's what Jesus said in John two seventeen. He says the, the zeal of the Lord of the Host has had, for, for his house has consumed me. It's consumed me. Has, is the house of the Lord consuming you a love for his house, or is it just a place you attend?" Oh, God, help us. I'm speaking this to the nations of the earth. God, help us to understand the power of the house. Get in the house. The rain's coming. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. The same thing that happened to Noah, it's going to happen to us. not a flood of water, but a flood of filth. And so he says, get in the house. Get in the house. I want to tell you, if you get in the house, you're going to get preserved. It's the ark. You'll be preserved. Your children will be preserved. I'm telling you, get in the house. Something happens to your children. Something happens to your grandchildren. It's supernatural. There's a crock pot atmosphere. You get soaked in God's presence. You just come and you, you by almost osmosis get changed. There's, there's, it's a change because the presence of God, the Spirit of God, time after time. You, you, you know, you can pray at home and you can, you can have your individual time at home, but, but it, it pales in comparison when the people of God get together and God begins to move in us as they did in, in, in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost when they were in one accord and, and in one place, something happens. I'm telling you, it's just, I think we're in a season where God wants to express that again. Hebrews 10 25 says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, and even more so much more as the day approaches. Come on, people, we gotta, we we, we gotta understand this. And God, we gotta, if we're planted, we're gonna, we're gonna get, we're gonna flourish. And God's gonna do some things in us that will be incredible, amazing. God wants, God wants to take us to his house. He loves his house. He's proud of his house. It's like when you build a brand new house and you want, come on, I want to show you my house. And you, might, you take everybody, it's like, a, you know, prayed homes. And you go through, wow, this is cool. This is awesome. Well, God wants to take you to his house and show you his, all his wonderful things that he has done. The people, the changes, the amazing anointing and blessing. And, oh, I I I don't know. God help me. There there were there were there were three arcs in the Bible. All of them were for preservation. Did you know that? Noah's Ark we already talked about. What it did it? It preserved that family. So we're now alive because of Noah. That we have also Moses' Ark of the bulrush. What was it? It was to preserve Moses' life. Right? And then we have the Ark of the Covenant. What was it? It was to preserve three things. Aaron's budding rod was to preserve the Ten Ten Commandments and tabernacles in in that uh, ark. It was also for the manna. All three of those things were in there. It preserved them. The manna never spoiled in the ark. I'm telling you, once you get in the house of God and into into the ark, something happens inside of you. You get preserved God begins to, begins to anoint you for, for, for great grace, and then he begins to move upon you. And, and it isn't just to preserve you to make you a, a trophy, it's to preserve you so you can be a shouting testimony to the goodness of God to the whole world. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. What happened? They, they, they were anointed so they could go out and be the testimony of Jesus. They went out into the known world, and they, sh- they shared Jesus. We are to share Jesus. I remember 40 years ago or more that Connie and I were led by the voice of God to go to Portland, Oregon. We went to Portland, Oregon, and, and I had a word from God right off the pages of the Bible told us to go there. I didn't know what was up. I thought God was just going to, you know, let me do this and let me do that. Can I just say, your agendas are of no no concern to God. You better just put them aside because they don't work. Let God speak to you and produce his agenda through you. So we go there and, you know, I had my thoughts of what was going to happen. didn't turn that way. didn't turn out that way at all. Well, Connie and I were in the midst of this. I can't even describe it for nine, ten years. We're in the midst of this element of anointing and preservation and ark and house. And we began to grow up in God. And we, we began to grow with other people. For instance, Dr. Frank DiMaggio was here. Frank and Sharon were here about three weeks ago. He was there. He and his wife with Connie and I. and My cousin Wendell and his wife Jenny and, and Mike and and Marsha Heron, and Rick Johnston, and Bill Scheidler, and Ken Maulman, and the list goes on and on of people that God placed there together. And then one day, He sent us all out. Now, let, let me just say, God's wanting to do the same thing again here. He wants you to come in the house, be anointed, preserved, imparted, empowered, so, you can have the Holy Spirit, so you can do what God has asked you to do, and the whole world can get changed up. This world needs change. When we got politicians saying we, it's okay to kill babies after birth, something's wrong. We've got to have a stand. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God's going to raise up a standard. I know that. Proverbs talks about when it gets dark, the Bible says it's going to get lighter. So when you see evil coming, you know God's up to something, and He's about ready to, to do gr- great and glorious things. Are you with me? Yes. And so I believe we're, we're at the place. I can, I can see it's a season where God wants to show up. God wants to show His glory. God wants to take us into His house to preserve us, to anoint us, to protect us, to get us ready for what we're to do. And in doing that, we're going to see the glory of the Lord. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. Change that to this, for the house will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I'm telling you right now, there is a, there's a worldwide revival that's already started. I believe the drippings have already started. All through history, there have been revivals that have revived America and the world in such a way that is, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And can I just tell you, the stories of, my stories to you of revival and your grandparent's story of you, uh, for you of revival won't do. You've got to have your own stories. <clears throat> we got to start believing God that he's going to come. Because God is, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So he wants to come right now and he wants to infuse our children and our grandchildren with new experiences of God and revival that will take them into the, <clears throat> the new wave of the Holy Spirit. I remember the story of uh, Charles Finney in 1823. He went into a factory. He just began to speak and, and, and factory workers began to fall under the anointing of God. A revival started there in the New England area. It, it was amazing. And all through our history, these things have, have, have occurred in uh, 18, uh, let's see if I can find it here. In 1859, uh, and this is interesting because I was just reading an article uh, two days ago. There is a revival happening in Colerain, North Northern Ireland. The whole town has gotten saved. I mean, just, it's just an amazing thing. And the person who was there as a pastor has now come to the United States, and the same thing is happening in his church here. And there's, there's revival in pockets all over the United States. And I've told God, I want to be a part of the pocket. Uh, don't leave me behind. Come on, God, stir it up. But you know, in Coleraine, Ireland, in 1859, a young boy went to school, and all of a sudden he began telling everybody of, the, of what he found, he found God, and he was so excited about it, the Spirit of God began to move on the other students. And one by one, the boys went out of the, out of the classroom, went out on the playground, knelt down, and began to cry out to God. Then the girls in the classroom next to him heard what was going on, and God started touching them. They started coming out one by one, and the whole, the whole school ended up on the playground crying out to God. And for about five years, that revival continued in Coleraine, Northern Ireland. We see the, what happened in, in, in America in In revivals. In 1741, in in Enfield, New England, which is Massachusetts, we see on July 8, 1741, a man named Jonathan Edwards began to read his sermon. He wasn't a very demonstrative preacher, he just read it monotone. But his message was sinners in the hands of an angry God. Something extraordinary began to happen. The fear of God fell. The congregation began to see themselves as hopelessly lost, dangling over hell. Soon there was so much crying out and fainting that Edwards <clears throat> had to order them to be quiet, but they wouldn't. People began to unconsciously cling to their pews and grasp hold of the pillars of the church so as not to slip into hell. A revival occurred. Within months, 300,000 souls were saved in that area. And you think, well, that's not a lot. Oh, there were only 2 million people in America at the time. 300,000 were immediately birthed into the kingdom. We see this happening in 1801 on the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky. All of a sudden one day 20,000 uh, people in this it was uh, it was not even populated very much, but 20,000 people show up in this huge field. And they, they had several preachers and they would each preacher would stand on a stump and begin to preach all through because they didn't have a sound system, so they had to have preachers. So they were scattered all through this field. And a witness said it was like a it was like a thousand guns aimed at people. And those listening to one preacher, 500 at a time would fall over under the power of God. Then over here, another 500 would fall into the power of God. Then over here listening to another preacher, a 500 would fall into the power of God. A revival occurred. Began to move. The same thing occurred in 1857 in New York City where a businessman started a uh, a revival in his business and all of a sudden uh, the uh, the amazing things occurred not only there but in, in England as well. At that time one million non-church members were born again and another million formerly <clears throat> saved church members were born again. Two million people in a short amount of time. I'm telling you then in 1906 Azusa Street, it fell in, in, in America. Time after time after time God has revived his people. but he's saying to us now, he's saying you got to get in the house. the time has fully come. you got to be in one accord. Come on let's stop uh, stop this arguing over insignificant things, even theology. Come on, God's got it all figured out. we don't. Just let him show up and we got to we got to stand here as the body of christ believing that this is our time this is the season for revival in america how do i know that it's getting so bad out there it has to get in here and what happens when revival comes jesus is put into his place jesus assumes his rightful place revival restores the fear of god revival restores the reality of heaven and hell there's a reality of that can i just say this the best is yet to come people we got to get in the house you got to be committed to the house committed with your gifts and your anointings god's preparing you he's preserving you he's crock potting you he's getting you ready he's anointing you he's he's putting things in you that you didn't even thought possible if you sit in the presence of god long enough you'll be amazed at what he does But it's not about your agenda. It's about God's will and purpose. We need to hear his voice, get in the house, be in one accord, and get ready to go. Did you hear this word today? I just put, I tried to put all the puzzle pieces together. See, the Bible's one big puzzle and I just put a few pieces together. God's getting ready to do something. Let's be ready with him, all right?